Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Um, excited to be here with you all. So when I first became a, a Christian, I had a youth pastor who had a, a motto. Uh, it was a simple two-word phrase that he would repeat very often in his lessons to us. And uh, it, it, was, it wasn't a phrase that he would just repeat flippantly. It was something that you could tell he wanted to live his life by. His motto was simply, I'm third. He would tell us, in my life, I put God first other people second, and then myself third. And he would encourage us, his students, to live the same way. And to us, his students, this kind of living was revolutionary. Uh, we, we all have priorities, right? And we might admit that most of the time, our own priorities come first in life. So this is even more true for a bunch of teenage students. No offense to teenagers in the room. But this idea of putting God and other people before ourselves is, is countercultural, right? It's, it almost sounds like a bad idea. We're taught in our culture to pursue our dreams first, to look out for ourselves first. So this I'm third mentality, it took a lot of work for us as, as students. So I, I still believe that this was a great lesson and there's a lot of good in this way of thinking. But I also think as a, as a teenager, I greatly misinterpreted the, the true message of what this youth pastor was trying to teach. Before meeting this youth pastor, I grew up in a church that taught that doing good things for other people was essential to your salvation, uh, or at least it helped cancel out the bad things in your life, right? So from a, uh, from a very young age, I carried this guilt that I needed to do a certain amount of good things in order to be a good Christian. And even after I was saved, this mindset spilled into the I'm third mentality. There were times where I would put God and other people before myself, sure, but oftentimes it would be out of the wrong motives. Um, often I did it out of guilt or as, as an act of penance to cover for the bad things I did. The problem wasn't that I was doing the good things. It was that I was putting my hope in the good deeds and how I was behaving. In our lives, we, we put our hope in, in some, we, we all put our hope in something or some things, right? Whether that is how good of a person we are, uh, our careers, our families, our possessions, but the, the reality is that none of these things are worthy of our hope. Not to be too depressing on Resurrection Sunday, but none of these things we naturally put our hope in will last. Our, our friendships will end at some point. We won't always have our family. Our careers will come to an end. Our material, material possessions will get thrown away and turn to dust at some point, right? To give us a, a brief visual, can we go to the... The next slide, please. This otter is us, right? We're just like this otter who is desperately trying to hold on to these ice cubes. As cute as we might be, all of our ice cubes are going to melt in the end. The reality is none of these things that we put our hope in will satisfy us forever. 
There's only one place that our hope is, is truly secure, and that is hope in Jesus. But why? But why do we hope in Jesus? How do we know that Jesus is worthy of our hope? In the times where we feel hopeless, where can we find hope? Well, because today is Resurrection Sunday, I want to bring forward the idea that the resurrection gives us reason enough to hope today and forever in Jesus. Similar to the, the Christmas story, we've heard the resurrection story so many times that it can be hard not to glaze over it like any other Bible story. But the, the reality is, it isn't just another story, right? It should be something that causes us to live differently, to have eternal hope. It's the core to the gospel, the center of what we believe as Christians. So with this in mind, there are three reasons we'll look at today that will hopefully reinforce why the resurrection gives us reason to put our hope in Jesus. First, the resurrection confirms Jesus' authority. Throughout his time on earth, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection a few times. We saw this in John 2 when, when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, right? The people who heard him thought he was crazy because they thought he was referring to the temple of Jerusalem, but of course he was referring to his own body. He told his disciples quite a few times directly that he would soon be taken from them, killed, and then raised up on the third day. But they didn't understand that or believe that this could be possible until it actually did happen. To many of Jesus' followers, the, the crucifixion was defeat. And could you blame them? To us, we, because we've heard this story so many times, we just want to say that to the disciples, why are you doubting? He just told you he's going to be resurrected in three days. But we have to remember that they had just watched Jesus die, one of the most gruesome deaths possible. They saw him prepared for burial. They saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb. To them, it was, it was final, right? How could anyone come back from that? You can imagine that they must have been worried that the hope that they had placed in Jesus was misplaced. And we see this in Luke 24 when the, the resurrected Jesus appears to a few of his followers on the way to Emmaus, uh, a town near Jerusalem. You don't need to turn there, but I wanted us to read through uh, these verses. It's, John, it's Luke 24, verses 13 through 21. It says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them said, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all his people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. So this must have been the, the feeling of the majority of Jesus' followers after the crucifixion, right? You get the understanding when reading these verses that, that these two were at the very last drops of their hope. They had followed Jesus through his ministry, seen his miracles, heard his teachings, and believed that he was sent by God. And they hoped, but they didn't know for sure that he was the Messiah. 
So when Jesus was arrested and crucified, their hope began to dim. But it wasn't gone yet because it was, it was widely known at this point that Jesus had claimed that he would rise on the third day. But now we're, we're at the third day, right? And their hope is just about gone at this point. They still had not seen Jesus to their knowledge. Uh, Israel was st- still not redeemed. And looking at the facts alone, it's quite possible that this would have been our feeling as well. As well. But of course, Jesus didn't leave them, leave them hopeless here. Later in the passage, Jesus took the two uh, followers through all the prophecies and the teachings about himself in Scripture. And it, it wasn't until Jesus broke bread in front of them did they realize that this was Jesus. But what these two and, and many of Jesus' followers didn't understand was that the crucifixion wasn't a mistake or a detour from the original plan. It was the original plan, right? It was plan A all along. And even more importantly, it wasn't a defeat. Uh, to those looking at the events that happened, it seemed like the, the chief priests and the rulers, they wanted to sen- sentence Jesus to death, and they succeeded, right? But in reality, Jesus, in his own authority, handed himself over to death. And Jesus was, was clear about this in his teaching. Uh, before the crucifixion in John 10, Jesus is teaching his followers about how he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Starting in verse 17, he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. So Jesus tells his followers that not only can he lay his life down and take it up again, but he has the authority to do it. Before the resurrection, these were just words to his followers, right? But now that he had actually done what he said he would, his words and authority are confirmed. So imagine if you and I were working at a company and we were in the same department at the same level and you were telling me about all of the terrible working conditions that you were facing. And and I agreed with you, these were terrible working conditions. Um, So I say to you, this is what I'm going to do. All the terrible working conditions, consider them gone. I'm going to change everything for the better. You'd probably laugh at me, right? To me, I'm just an employee at the same level as you without any authority at all. But what you don't know is that you're actually on an episode of Undercover Boss, and I'm the CEO. (laughs) And as the CEO, I do have the authority to to change these things, and I do. Um, I always had the authority to change things, but... When I actually do, that confirms my authority, right? So that this is a very poor example of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus tells his followers that he has the authority, he has the authority to lay down his life for a people, his people. But the resurrection proves his authority. So why is this important to us? Jesus' authority gives us hope that if we put our trust in him, we are secure. Because it shows us that if we're placing our hope in Jesus, we're placing our hope in God himself. The resurrection demonstrates that he is God because only God has authority over life and death, right? If Jesus was just a a good moral teacher or a prophet, our hope in him would be misplaced because though he taught good things and had good lessons, he, he wouldn't have had the authority to act on those teachings. But because we know that Jesus is God, we can trust that our hope in him is not misplaced. And the exciting news is that we aren't putting our hope in a, in a God that is distant, who gives us a bunch of rules, 
and principles to live by and then leaves us on our own. We're placing our hope in a, a savior that is alive, one that we can know and that knows us, one that empowers us and is constantly transforming us to be more like himself. And, and this gives us hope, not just for today, but for eternity. Uh, and that leads us to our, our second point on why the resurrection gives us hope in Jesus. So the first reason was that the resurrection confirms Jesus' authority, and now, second, the resurrection gives us a living hope for eternity in Jesus. So living hope is a, a phrase that we hear often in church. It's a song by Phil Wickham that we sing pretty often here at Restoration. Uh, but what does he mean by living hope? This phrase comes from a, a passage in 1 Peter. During this time, the early churches are being persecuted by the Romans, and they're anticipating that even worse persecution is, is yet to come. Peter knows this, and he's writing them a letter of encouragement to persevere and to continue following Christ. The words of encouragement he gives them are, are found in verse 3, and uh, just wanted us to read through those verses here. So it's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. He says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter here is telling the church that, that they, have, they have living hope for two reasons, right? First, because Jesus is alive. The resurrection itself gives us hope that is alive because our Savior is alive. Just like we spoke about a little while ago, if we placed our hope in someone that was a good teacher or just a human, our hope would be misplaced because a human has no control over when they die, right? But because of the resurrection, we have been given a living hope that does not fade, that is not empty in Jesus because he is alive and death has no power over him. Jesus in his resurrection defeated death for us and our living hope is found in this new life that he brings. So Peter also says that we have a living hope because we as Christians are alive through a new birth in Jesus. This concept of, of new birth is something that Jesus introduced back in John 3 where he's speaking to Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisee. He says to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So Jesus warns Nicodemus that simply living in the flesh, being born of the flesh, won't allow him to see the kingdom of God. If he wants to see the kingdom of God, or if we want to see the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Not in the flesh. We, we see later in the passage that we can't be born of the flesh twice. But we must be born again through faith in Jesus. At that moment in our lives where we put our faith in Jesus, that is when we are born again into the living hope that Peter mentions here. So the living hope that the persecuted Christians in this letter have and that we as Christians also have is alive because Christ defeated death and is alive and because we are born again in the spirit, right? And then continuing on within this passage, Peter tells us what our hope is in. In verse four, we read that this living hope is in an inheritance 
that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So because we're, we're born again through Jesus, we're born into the, the family of God as children of God. And what do children generally get from their parents? An inheritance, right? So Peter is telling us that we as children of God have an, inter- an eternal inheritance that will never fade, an inheritance greater than anything we could gain on earth. This passage doesn't tell us exactly what the inheritance is, but we know that this is one that is being kept in heaven for us, meaning it is secure, that it can't be lost or taken from us. So reading this reminds me of the anxiety I get when I go to concerts. Does anyone anyone go to concerts and know what I'm talking about? When I go to a concert, which isn't very often nowadays, by the way, I usually get a a general admissions ticket because it's the cheapest. And a a general admissions ticket will get you a spot on the floor, um, but it won't give you an exact seat of where you're sitting. So you could, depending on when you arrive, you could either get a really good spot in the front or you could get a terrible spot in the back behind somebody taller than you. Um, So whenever I I buy a a general admissions ticket, I I have this anticipation anxiety while I'm waiting for the concert until I'm in that ideal spot. It's pretty dumb, I know. (laughs) But the thing is, we... Uh, but th- this is the opposite of what Peter is saying. We as Christians, we don't need to be anxious or worry about the future. We have an inheritance that will not fade, that can never be lost, an inheritance that is infinitely valuable. And we have that, we have that seat that is unobstructed right in the front row. And furthermore, secure. It's being guarded. Even more importantly, in verses 4 through 5, Peter says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter says that not only our inheritance are secure, but we are secure. By our faith, we are shielded by God's power. Specifically for for those being persecuted in the churches that, that Peter's writing to, this statement had to give them so much hope, right? And it should give us hope today as well. We as Christians are being shielded by God. Another translation says, guarded by God. The same God who defeated death and created everything. This God is guarding us so that we are secure in his salvation. Just like it says in Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So just to summarize, we as, we as Christians have a living hope that is, that is caused by the resurrection of Jesus and by us being born again through faith in him. Our living hope in Jesus, who by him we have an internal inheritance that is infinitely valuable. This inheritance is being guarded by God and we ourselves are being guarded by God until we are in heaven ourselves for eternity with him. So what does this mean for us? In the times when we, when we face difficulty, not even persecution, just day-to-day difficulty, right? Disappointments, fear, anxiety. We can remind ourselves of this living hope found in Jesus and remember that we aren't living for this world. This world is, is not our final destination, and, and that should give us hope today. So it's just like when Abraham followed God's call to leave his home and uh, go out into the wilderness to follow him for the, into the promised land, right? He and his 
we, we read in the Old Testament that he, he, he and his sons never actually found the promised land here on earth. But in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He wasn't living for this world either. And we, as followers of Jesus, we have the same opportunity today. In our disappointments and in our accomplishments, we can grasp on to this living hope in Jesus of our eternal inheritance and of our future salvation where we will spend eternity with God. Tim Keller, an author and pastor in New York, says this, the resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but that they have a hope that comes from the future. So just to summarize where we're at, the resurrection gives us reason to, to put our hope in Jesus because, one, it confirms Jesus' authority. Two, it gives us a living hope for our eternity. And lastly, the resurrection confirms God's love is real. So I have another question for us this morning. Does God really love us? Thank you. <laughs> we talk about God's love a lot here at church. We sing songs about it every Sunday. But do we really know God's love for us? How many of us can recite John 3.16 by heart? I'm guessing pretty much all of us, right? If you know it, say it with me right now. <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I heard some of you there, so thank you. So there, there might have been a couple words that got jumbled here and there because of the different translations we grew up with, right? But the, the fact is that we as the church are very familiar with this verse about God's love for us. And many people outside the church are also familiar with this verse too, even if they don't know what it means. You see this verse at sports games, on poster boards, even if it's just the reference. Uh, in and out Burger, for those of you who don't know, who have John 3.16 on the bottom of the cups, uh, just the reference. So all this to say, we as a culture and a church are very familiar with the fact or the idea that God loves us. But the question is, do we as individuals know God's love for us? Maybe some of us think that we know what this love is because we grew up in the church, but have you truly grasped God's love for you? 1 John 4 says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this is it. This is God's love for us. All of us were born into a world that is broken, right? Each of us as men and women inherited a world that was torn apart by sin because of the, the decision to disobey God by the first man and woman. Each of us were born into sin ourselves. Some of us have made good decisions or better decisions, done less bad things in our lives, but the reality is all of us individually have sin because it's in our nature. We have uh, two toddlers as most of you know, and uh, they're just starting to grasp the concept of consequences. Our son was briefly in a, a destructive phase recently where he would throw or jump on some of his toys, and he very quickly realized the consequence for being rough with his toys was that he no longer had the toy, right? His relationship to the toy was broken. 
And, and that's exactly what sin did with our relationship with God. At its core, sin is the rejection of God and rejection of God himself and his authority over us. So by sinning, we are rejecting God, right? We believe that God is perfect, and part of, that, and part of God's perfection is that he is perfectly just. So to not judge our sin would, would not be just. So as a just and perfect God, he needs to deal with our sin, right? And what is the judgment for sin? It's, it's, what, is our, what is the judgment for rebellion against God? It's death and eternal separation from him, right? So there's, there's now a gap between us and God. And there's nothing in our own power, no amount of good deeds that we can do that can reunite us with God. But just as we read in the verses a second ago in 1 John 4, there is hope for us, right? Even though he is our judge and we rebelled against him, God loved us and made a way for us to be reunited with him. God, the, the source of all life, the creator of everything, became part of his creation through Jesus and lived a life just like ours but without sin. And he didn't just live amongst us. He laid down his own life into the most gruesome, painful, humiliating death that you can imagine. A verse in Philippians says, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in this sacrifice, Jesus took the judgment that was meant for us, for our sin, unto himself the death that we were meant to face, the separation from God, his Father, that was meant for us, he, he took that on himself. Isn't that incredible? Even though we rebelled against him, his response to us wasn't judgment, it was mercy and love. It was, it was a sacrifice of himself for the ones rebelling against him. But that's not it, of course, because death could not contain him. Jesus was raised to life again. Three days after he was crucified, just as he repeatedly told his disciples and followers, Jesus was raised back to life, claiming victory over death, not just for himself, but for us, the ones that he died for. Jesus' resurrection can be seen as the final word in God's love for us. So this is incredible news for us. Within the crucifixion and resurrection, everything that needed to be, uh, to be possible for us to reconcile with God was done. We as humankind now have the opportunity to be reunited and reconciled with God through faith in Jesus. So this is God's love for us, that each and every one of us, while we were still sinners, while we deserved nothing more than the judgment that was headed for us, Jesus died for each of us, defeated death for each of us. And he wants to be reunited with each of us, to spend eternity with each and every one of us. The crucifixion and resurrection truly confirms God's love for us. Amen. So this is what we celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday. This is the reason for us to hope in Jesus today and forever. Amen. So just to summarize for this morning, 
Why does the resurrection give us hope in Jesus? How does the resurrection reinforce the idea that there, there is no safer, better hope place than the, the hope that we place in Jesus? Because one, the resurrection confirms Jesus' authority. Because Jesus has authority over life and death itself, because he is God, we can trust that our hope in him is secure and will not waver. Two, the resurrection gives us a living hope for eternity. After spiritually being born again in Jesus, we are born into a, a living hope and an eternal inheritance that is protected by God, and we ourselves are protected by God himself. And three, the resurrection confirms God's love for us because he did not leave us to the judgment that we were destined for, right? Instead, he humbled himself, died and rose again out of his love for us. So what does this, what does this mean for us? How should we live knowing that we can place our hope in Jesus securely? I just have a few practical items as we close now. Number one is live secure. When the world around us is, is terrified, we can find confidence and security in Jesus. We've had a, a crazy couple years, haven't we? Generally speaking, what was the overall uh, reaction that we saw around us in the heart of the pandemic? It was, it was true fear and panic about the future, wasn't it? So that's, that's the reality for anyone who places their hope in anything that is not secure, whether that be our, our careers, our families, our friendships, our health, a world without a pandemic. These are all good things. But if we put our hope in any of these things, we will be faced with the same fear, the same anxiety, the same despair again at some point in our future. Unless we put our hope in Jesus, we will always eventually be disappointed because there's nothing or no one that has the authority and power that our God has. There's no one who knows us and loves us, not even ourselves, not even our families, like our God does. So I, I just want to encourage us this morning. I want us, including myself, to evaluate where are you placing your hope? Is it in your, your health, your safety, your finances? Any of these things that we mentioned earlier. If it is, I want to encourage us to redirect that hope. Put it somewhere where it will not be lost, where you will not be left hopeless. Secondly, live for eternity. So we saw earlier how we as Christians have the promise of an, an eternal inheritance in heaven that we will spend eternity in heaven with our God, right? So this eternal mindset should give us perspective on our lives now. The problems that we are facing now, they, they might be a big deal to us now, and they often are. I'm not undermining our problems now. But when we have the, the perspective of eternity, specifically the length of eternity compared to the length of our troubles now, there is no comparison. The difficulties that we are facing now compared to the endless peace and joy that we'll experience and live in for all of, our, all of eternity with our Creator, that should give us hope to persevere in our circumstances now. We don't need to deny that we're facing difficulties or that we will face difficulties in the future. But the hope that we have in eternity with God should give us joy and peace to face our problems now. And this mindset of eternity should also cause us to live differently today, right? 
because the time that we have on earth now is, is so short in comparison to, our, to eternity. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So in, in the short time that we have here on earth, this is how we as Christians are called to live, as living sacrifices, daily living by how God is leading us individually uh, to become more and more like him living as lights in this world to, to direct others who don't know him back to him. And last, live reunited. So through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be reunited with our loving God. For those of us who, who have been saved, we no longer will face the judgment that we deserved. We have been born into a new life reunited with God where we have the opportunity to build a real relationship with our God, to know him, to know his desires, to partner with him in what he's doing in our lives, in the lives of those around us. Just like we can grow our relationships with our friends and family, we have the opportunity to strengthen our relationship with our God. And how do we do this? By, by spending time with him in prayer, by reading his word, by worshiping him, by taking part in a body of believers as we're doing this morning. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So I'd encourage us to, to live this day, every day, desiring to draw near to God, to know him more, and he will draw near to you. Can we pray? God, thank you for this living hope that we have in you. Thank you for this reminder this morning of, of your ultimate sacrifice for us. While we were still sinners, you laid down your life for us out of your great love and mercy. God, we are so grateful for that. We ask that you, you would remind us of this hope that we have in you every day. Help us to live with this eternal mindset that you are with us and that we have an eternity to look forward to with you in our future. Just thank you for this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. 